0: Will you pray with me as we enter into the word today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that speaks through it. Lord, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us today, Father. I pray that you will fill my words with your spirit, with the power of your Holy Spirit. Make them your words. May they be what you want to be said. Will you speak to us through them? We want your will in our lives. We want your will in this time. If there's anything between you and us, Lord, remove it, we pray, so that we can fully receive what you have for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We are going to be in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 20 or verses 7 through 21. So I'm going to tell you a little secret. Um, this is a, a peek behind the Wizard of Oz's curtain. On Monday morning, I came to work. I came to work, and I sat down, and I started studying for Sunday. I, got, I, I, I was making good headway on Monday, uh, a lot, lot prepared. And I was feeling really good about the week as far as my time management skills. Tuesday, I came in and I started to study more. And about halfway through the day is when we have our staff meeting. We sat down as a staff and we began to talk through last Sunday and we talked through some of the stuff uh, that happened this last week. Uh, and then and then we said, okay, let's talk about next Sunday. And I said, so this Sunday, we are going to be in First John chapter 4. And I went to the paper that I've been writing all of my passages down for all the way up through Pentecost. And I wrote it, I had them all write down. And I, I went, and I looked at it, and I said, okay, Vicky, we're going to be in chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Verses 7 through 21. And then I said, you know, for the past day and a half, I have been studying chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. So <laughs> I was feeling really prepared, and I was, like, excited about my week. I was, anyway, I started all over again right then and there. <laughs> So, I am prepared, so don't be afraid. It's, we're ready. I just, I had to work a couple evenings this week that I wasn't planning on because of that. So, if you will join me in chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to read through that. Uh, if you will follow in your Bibles or on the screens, uh, that will be great. Chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. but, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him, and he in us. He has given us, um, he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the, God, the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges the, that, Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God for um, for the love on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we might have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Our because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and hates his, a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command Anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. The word of the Lord. Does anybody see the common theme through this? love, right? We are going to be talking about love. This passage in John, 1 John 4 is just chocked full of stuff. There are so many powerful, powerful theological ideas in here, uh, and he repeats them a couple times, and he reiterates them in different wording, but there, it, it's a lot. And so we are not going to do what we've been doing over the last several weeks of going verse by verse and kind of unfolding all of it, because we will be here till after lunch, and then everybody's going to be like, where's the hike? we got to stop. So I'm going to talk only about a couple of the things. And so uh, that way, next time we come back to First John chapter 4, I have something totally new for you to, to get out of it, all right? The first thing I want us to see, and I hope you saw it, is that God is love. John repeats it several times. He wants his readers to hear it. God is love. Everything that is love comes from God. There is no, there's no deviating from that. Now the world has its idea of what love is and it it tries to understand it and every form of love in the world is distorted if it doesn't come out of God. And often it's broken and it's, and it's perverted because of the world. But true love, true love comes from God. And John says, uh, tells us this, that this is how we know that God loves us, is that he sent his son into the world to be the atoning sacrifice for us. Does that verse sound familiar at all? Sounds very close to John chapter 3, verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, we're going to come back to this verse a little bit later in the, in the sermon, um, but we're going to add to it, so be ready for it. This is how we know that God loves us, that he sent his one and only Son into the world so that we can be set free. This idea that is, or this, this Greek word that is translated as atoning sacrifice in verse 10 is helosmos, Hilasmas. I said it better this service than it last service. Last, I had to go back and look at it to make sure I had it right. Helosmos. This term is a term that denotes or comes from the idea of animal sacrifices from early Judaism, right? So if you're not familiar with what that is, in when Moses came down from the mountain, God had laid out for Moses the sacrificial system because people were sinful. They were a, in a broken relationship from God. They could not come to God because of their sin. And the only way to do that was for them to atone, which means to make amends or reconcile for their sin, and then they could come to God, all right? Now... Every year, the priests would take lambs, and they would sacrifice these lambs, and they would sprinkle the blood over everything, and then they and then they would atone for all of the sins of the people. And there was even a special place where they would sprinkle blood that atoned for the sins that were not even known, meaning that the sins that we weren't aware were sins, or the the sins that um, we we didn't yeah we didn't even know we made. And so they, they covered everything. They made sure that everybody was atoned. And that would atone the people for a year. And every year, on the same day, they would come, and they would do the ritual, they would sacrifice. Okay. In the Old Testament, this word, Hilasteron, was re- is the word that was referred to as the mercy seat. Okay? And we've talked about the mercy seat a couple weeks ago. The mercy seat is the place of reconciliation the place the place where things were made right and the, the the place in the Jewish culture that was where that happened was the ark of the covenant it was referred to as God's mercy seat it was where they atoned for the sins it is where they sprinkled the blood of the lambs and God would bestow upon the people from the ark of the covenant the mercy to the people and to the land okay That is not what is happening in um, 1 John 4, though. This is a different kind of atoning sacrifice. It's doing the same thing in the sense that it's covering for our sins, but the the tense of the word here is a perfect, perfect tense, meaning that unlike the Jewish culture where they were sacrificing yearly to be able to atone for their sins this one act that was done by Jesus Christ was a complete atonement and was there is like there was nothing missed okay so we talked oh it was a number of weeks ago about the debt system of sin right We talked about how you have a debt of sin and we have our debt credit card where we rack up our sins and the idea of the atonement, of Jesus coming onto the cross and erasing that debt. But then we could rack up the debt again because we still have the credit card. That was an incorrect assessment of Jesus' atonement. But that is a correct assessment of the ancient Jewish culture of their atonement. They would sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. They would get their sins erased. The debt was erased. But then over the next year, they would rack up more sin. And then on the next atonement, day of atonement, the priest would again sacrifice to erase the debt for the year. And then they would begin to rack up the debt again. That's the way it used to be. Now, with Jesus, when he died on the cross, when he rose from the dead, what he did, because of, and and John makes this point emphatically with the tense of the verb, he says it was a complete atonement. Meaning that when Jesus died, when he sacrificed himself, On the cross, His atonement, the blood of the Lamb, covered every sin from the very beginning of time to the very, very end of time. Whoever is the very last person to sin in the world, their sin was all taken into Jesus on the cross, and it was killed and destroyed. And we know this because Jesus tells us that it is so. It's been eradicated, never to be come back from. Okay? He is the true atoning sacrifice, the true atonement lamb that makes us completely clean. Right. Now, it's interesting because the ways that we view God in the Old Testament and the New Testament are a little bit different. In the Old Testament, the Jews viewed God through the lens of how every other culture understood a God. They viewed God that he was there and he was disappointed or angry with all of the sin that they had done, and they had to appease him. He was the offended God. The offense was against him. And so every atonement that they made was a payment to that offense so that God would no longer be angry with them. It's very much how every pagan culture viewed their gods. You had to appease the God in order for the God to do good things for you. But we know from the scriptures that God is good, He is not not good, there is no not goodness in Him. Yeah, I hope I didn't double niggle myself into the wrong term there. <laughs> he is all complete good, right? But they didn't understand how, and they didn't have the ability to fully grasp that. And so they viewed him through this lens of the other cultures around them. And God was okay with that, because at least they were atoning for the sins. However, when Jesus came into the world, he is the full and complete revelation of who God is. Everything that God is, is who Jesus was. And so it's important to understand that. So if there is anything in the Old Testament that seems to be contradictory to God, or uh, to Jesus, then we have to assume that the, that is the Israelites' misunderstanding of what God was about. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the full revelation of God in Hebrews. There is nothing about God that is not in Jesus. All right? So when he came, instead of seeing a distorted shadow of what God was that the the Israelites saw, we see the complete, in detail, full color, HDMI format of God in front of us, okay? And he represents a different kind of atonement. Jesus talks about God as the God who loves us so much, that he himself came into the world in the form of Jesus Christ in uh, willing to die on a cross in order for us to be set free so we can be in a relationship with him. God is not the God who sits above us, disappointed with us and unhappy with who you are and believing that you are unworthy and if we just do the right forms of atonement, then he will accept us. Instead, God loved us so very, very much that he himself initiated the act of coming in person into this world. He came into our brokenness, entered into it, lived with us, encountered the same brokenness, loved those who were unlovable. Those who were unworthy, he accepted and embraces. That is who God was, that is who God is. That didn't change when Jesus went back to heaven. He did that. He initiated that. Then, as we talked about last week, his life was not taken from him. He willingly gave up his life. He sacrificed himself. So in the, in the old culture, in the old version of atonement, the people had to sacrifice in order to appease the God, to appease what they thought was, a, as was an angry God. But instead, God came and God sacrificed Himself. He took the initiative to be the sacrifice because there was no sacrifice we could make to make it complete. So He gave of Himself in order to take away incompleteness every sin ever imaginable, even those unknown sins you are unaware of. He took them on himself, and he eradicated them. And now he stands with arms wide open, saying, come to me. He removes our sins, and then when we are willing to accept that gift, he will completely restore us. True reconciliation will be had all of that from one verse. See why we can't go into everything here? Well, we have to. We have to continually accept. We have to continually be giving ourselves back to God. Okay? All right. Woo. All right, verse 10 is done. Move on. <laughs> Because of this love, because God gave this love, he says we now ought to love those around us. This is verse 11. John says that because since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This word ought, um, this is probably one of the better ways of translating it but I'm going to tell you more of the context or the, of the concept behind the word so you get it. And this would be a little bit more, if we spoke Greek, this would be evident in the word and you would understand it. The The concept behind this is not, is not that we should like kind of want to. It's kind of like it just, you're crazy if you don't want to More of that. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say here? So because God so loved us, because he so willingly gave up of himself in order for us to be in a relationship with him, we are crazy if we can't then turn around and give that love to other people around us. Because he loved us so much, we ought, we are not going to be crazy. We should give love to other people. We talked, I think it was last week, They kind of run my, my sermons run together in my mind sometimes. We talked about the Trinity a little while ago, and how it's a dance of God, of a, of a, it's a love dance of God Himself. Okay, so God the Father is freely, willingly giving up His self for the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is freely, willingly giving up himself for the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is freely, willingly giving himself up to the Father and to the Son. And so it's this beautiful three-sided dance that is happening, showing perpetual, willingly giving up love. Now, that dance has been given an an invitation for us to join. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that when we accept Jesus into our lives, we join this dance of love with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We join the love dance of the Trinity. And the thing about this is that that John is saying here is that it doesn't stop with you. You don't just get to join the dance we then have to share that love out so as long as this directional relationship is in right order being that you're in the love you're in the, the flow of love with god you're part of that dance then it should naturally flow back out of you to the people around you and you create this other type of trinity i don't want to it's hard to say that because it's not a god thing but like so if i were to give love to someone else the love of christ They then will receive the love of Christ, hopefully from me, and will begin to understand the love of Christ, and hopefully will accept the love of Christ into them, and thus becomes this three-sided dance again. They will then take that love that they have received from God, and will then hopefully give that love away to others, and will create new three-sided dances. Does that make sense? It's like COVID. Just spread it around. But it's the opposite in the sense that you take your mask off, go and spread the love of Jesus to people. It can be contagious. Right? It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. It's a gift that's so freely given to us. And the problem is, is that the world around us, because of their understanding of love, because of their distorted, broken concept of love in their mind, they believe that when we talk about the love of God, they interpret it through the lens of that broken love. They think that it's something that is manipulative or something that is distorted or perverted or something where they're going to lose out on. And they don't want that sometimes, often, I think. It is our job, it is our, our responsibility to show them the true love of Christ so that that notion can be destroyed in them. The notion that, that, the, that the love of God is some kind of a distorted love needs to be eradicated. And it can only be eradicated by, the, by seeing that love through you, through me, in the way that we interact with each other as a church, in the way we interact with each other in the community. We are the living. Uh, John says it. When you do this, you are like Christ. And the more we do it, the more we become like Christ. John says that when we love others, we know God. And it's the kind of knowing where you're continually getting to know. It's a constant growing in knowledge. It's this idea that the more we choose to love God, remember, it's a daily choice that we will stay in relationship with God, that we will give up our will for God's will. It's this daily choice of living like we're supposed to with Christ. When we daily choose that We grow more and more in Him, and we begin to know Him more and more than we have ever known Him. And we become more and more like Him. And conversely, if we choose to not do that, if we choose to not live lovingly, we fall out of knowledge of God. But it's not the thing that if you occasionally show love to somebody or you say a kind word to a guy on the street or that that then you're just you know you're doing it that's not what it is it's this daily choice of living a love lifestyle but at the same time if you have a bad day and you're not so kind to people or you might say a rude comment to your family member that doesn't mean you don't know God It's not a. It's this. The concept is a is a habitual, continually doing something. So if you have a bad day, don't be worried. Ask God to help you to have a better day the next day. Don't be worried because it's this idea that you are continually choosing to follow God in all things. We're commanded to love one another. Jesus gave us two commandments. God gave the original Israelites 10, right? The Israelites then took those 10, added 600 to them, all to try to make the 10 easier to follow, which actually made it harder to follow. But there were 10 original, and Jesus, when he came, said, listen, guys, 10 can be a little overwhelming sometimes. So let's boil it down to two. If you can love God with everything you are. And the Ten Commandments are broken down this way. If you can do that, you cover the first four. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, then you're, you're set. Because if you do that second one, you're covering the final six of the Ten Commandments. Because everything then after number four is all about how do you love other people around you. Your parents, your neighbor, your wife, all of those things. He says, love God. And when you love God, and that that vertical plane is in right order, then it is so much easier to love horizontally. Because I'm going to tell you, I am not naturally a loving person. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who might agree with me, not about me, but maybe yourself. We don't naturally want to love people. We naturally want to love ourselves. And it takes a lot of work to want to be loving to others around us. And it takes even more work to love people around us who we don't think deserve the love, right? But those are the people that we need to be loving. When Jesus lived on this world, on this planet, the people he loved were the people that no one else would love. He loved the tax collector. Everyone hated the tax collector. He loved the prostitute. Everybody wanted to stone the prostitute. He loved the Samaritan. and Nobody in their right mind would talk to a Samaritan. He loved the Gentile. No one would even come within the same area of a Gentile. He loved the Roman guard who was hammering the nail into his hands and asked God to forgive him because he knew not what he was doing. Now, I'm going to tell you, for Jesus, that might have been a little easier than it would have been for me. I'm going to say it's a lot easier for him. The only way that I will ever be able to love the way that God calls me to love is with Jesus's help. And the only way I know I can get that help is if I am continually surrendering my form of love to him to fill me with his form of love. Because my form of love always puts me first. And on those bad days, that's the reason, is because I put myself first. And I want to put others first more often. Every day, it's my prayer. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, with God's help, I'm getting there. And I know that you are too. We have this amazing opportunity to be the living embodiment of Jesus in the world around us, to our community. And, and we ought We don't want to not be part of that. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 said, Jesus did not come into the world In order to condemn the world, but to save it and to set it free. God is an atoning God. He is the one who makes us at one with Him again. He is the one who makes the initiative, who takes the initiative. He sent His Son. He sacrificed Himself on the cross. He destroyed all sin. He rose from the dead. There's a lot of he and not a lot of me in that. I didn't do any of it. You didn't do any of it. The only responsibility we as Christians have, or we as anyone, not just Christians, we as people have, is to understand that there is this gift that has been given to us. We have this opportunity for freedom, And all we have to do, our only responsibility, this little finger here, is we just have to say yes. I accept it. I accept it. I continually accept it. And we in the church know the secret that God's love is always there. That it's always, it's just beyond our compare. We cannot articulate it well enough. We know that Christ came to save us, to not condemn us. And it is a secret that we have to get out and start telling. We have to tell people, because I'll tell you that the bulk of people out in the world who aren't Christians, they think God sits in judgment over them. They think God is angry. They think God must be appeased before they could even come to him. But we know that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took the initiative so that we could be saved. And all we have to do is say yes. And anyone out there, all they have to do is say yes. And we have to tell them. We have to share it. And we don't have to just articulate it. We need to share it through our loving relationships with them. We have to tell them through our actions, not our words. My favorite quote by, um, oh, it's Assisi, but I want to say Thomas Assisi. No, that's not right. Anyway, he's a saint, Assisi. Francis, thank you. Thank you very much. Thomas didn't sound right, and I was right. I was wrong. Francis of Assisi. My favorite quote of his is that, that you should tell the gospel everywhere you go. And if you must, use your words. Meaning that our lives should be the living embodiment of God's love. And on good days, it will be. And on our not good days, we need to be open with the fact that, hey, we messed up and we're gonna get it better next time. It's okay. And if you are hearing this and and you feel like, I need to just make sure that when I walk out of here, I'm going to be a full living embodiment of God's love. Then when we pray in just a minute, I want you to ask God to do that for you. Make sure. Make sure. And if you're out there and this is the first time you've even heard about God's love and you always thought God's love was something different, And you want to accept this new form of love? And we're going to pray in a minute. And I'm going to pray with you. And I want you to accept God's love for the first time. Or, like me, I'm going to accept it continually, every day. Because I need it every day. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your love. It is, I'm unworthy of it. I thank you for the fact that when I was unworthy, when I was your enemy, you still died for me. And I ask you to forgive me for all those times when I make the wrong choice, when I live out of your will, when I make bad decisions, when I don't show your love, I ask that you forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Father, I accept your love, the love you so freely give to me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Son so that every day when I go out, I will be an example of your love. Every day when I'm with my family, I want to be an example of your love. Every day when I'm in those places where I'm uncomfortable with who I'm around, let me be an example of your love. You are our everything, and we thank you. We give you praise. In your holy name we pray, amen. Will you stand and receive this benediction? For those of you online, thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be back next week. As you go this week, go and share the love of Jesus with a world who is desperately in need of it. Go and be his hands and feet. Be his words of love and peace. Now go and love the world around you. You are dismissed.